Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. Uh, that is a lesson uh, for not just the kids, but for the adults as well. Uh, and you may notice those themes coming out in our sermon this morning. Uh, but as we open God's word together, let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it is living and active. And we pray that as we come under your word this morning, that you would give us soft hearts. By your spirit, enable our hearts to turn towards you, that we might repent and put our trust in Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Now, nobody likes saying goodbye, right? Uh, kids, I imagine uh, some of you have probably said goodbye to friends in the past. Uh, perhaps you've said goodbye to family members. Uh, when you have friends over, uh, it comes time to say goodbye. Uh, and uh, Sammy uh, has experienced this. Uh, when we have friends over or when we go over to other people's places, it comes time to say goodbye. Uh, occasionally, there are tears. There are lots of goodbyes in life. Uh, some of them are small. Uh, so you might say goodbye to your family in the morning as you head off to work or as you head off to school. But you know you'll be home in the afternoon or in the evening, right? It's, a, it's not a difficult goodbye, it's a small one. But some goodbyes in life are bigger. Some goodbyes are for longer, for months, years, or perhaps even forever. Perhaps you've had the experience of a friend moving overseas. You don't know if you'll ever see each other again. Perhaps you've had a loved one die and you've had to say goodbye. And so perhaps you can imagine what it might have been like for Jesus' disciples after he rose from the dead. See, here was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be God's son and the Messiah. He claimed to be the king God had promised who would rescue his people, who would restore his kingdom and who would reign as king forever. And the disciples had believed him. They'd given everything to follow this man, Jesus, and they'd come to love him. When he died, they were devastated. Everything they hoped for, everything they expected from Jesus had been reduced to rubble. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. Their saviour, their king, their hope, everything that they believed about him, it was true. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the saviour. And he was back from the dead. Everything the Jews had looked forward to for hundreds of years, it was here. In Jesus was the fulfilment of all the promises of the Old Testament. The kingdom of God was here. The king was here and then he left. And then he left. He said goodbye to the disciples and he ascended to heaven. Why? Why did Jesus ascend to heaven? And what's he doing now? These are the questions that we're answering this morning. We read from two passages, Psalm 110 and Acts chapter 2. This morning we'll be particularly looking at Psalm 110 and what it says about Jesus as Lord and High Priest. Uh, tonight at Night Church, we'll be taking a closer look at Acts chapter 2 and, and what's the deal with the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit got to do with Jesus ascending to heaven? In Psalm 110, we find an invitation and a promise. Keep that passage open in front of you. 
In verse 1, if you have a look at verse 1, we see there God inviting someone, the psalmist calls my Lord, God invites this my Lord to sit at his right hand. And then in verse 4, we find a promise. God promises this Lord that they will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so we're going to take these one at a time. Firstly, the invitation, invitation to sit at God's right hand. Let's have a look at verse 1. Let's read it again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, if you have a look at the title there at the top of the psalm, you'll see that this is a psalm of David. And it's quite likely that this psalm was meant to be read at the inauguration of a king. When a king took his throne, this psalm would be read and applied to the king. So, for instance, when Solomon took the throne, someone would read, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And it would be understood that this was God speaking to Solomon, inviting Solomon to sit at his right hand. Now, to sit at someone's right hand, to sit at a king's right hand, to sit at God's right hand is a position of power. Your commands come with the authority of the king himself. The person sitting at the king's right hand doesn't rule in their own right, they rule with the authority of the king. What we have here is an invitation for the king of Israel to trust God. Not to rule in his own right, by his own authority, but to sit at God's right hand with an authority derived from God's authority. He was to rule God's people as God's chosen instrument under the authority of God himself. And this was the pattern for all of Israel's kings. See, God was the ultimate king in Israel. The kings of Israel, the human kings, ruled under the authority of God himself at his right hand until God made his enemies a footstool for his feet. Notice that it's God who does the work here. He's the one making the king's enemies his footstool. And if you read verse 2 and 3, you'll see that God's the one extending the king's scepter from Zion. He's the one promising that the troops would be willing, that people would come to the king. And if you look down at verses 5 to 7, you'll notice that it's God who crushes kings. It's God who judges nations. God's doing the work to make the kingdom secure, to make the king's rule secure. So here we have an invitation, an invitation for the king to sit at God's right hand, to rule under God himself, to trust God to make the kingdom secure, to trust God to judge and destroy their enemies. Secondly, in verse 4, we have a promise. Have a look at verse 4. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, if you've never heard of him, is a mysterious figure that appears in Genesis chapter 14. We don't have much information about him. But if we read Genesis chapter 14, we find that Abram's nephew Lot had been taken captive. And so Abram took a small army and he went and rescued Lot. 
and he rescued a number of other people and possessions as he did so. And on his way back home, Abram with Lot and all these other people and these possessions, he meets this man, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is king of Salem or Jerusalem and he was a priest of God Most High. And as they meet, Melchizedek blesses Abram and Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. This is a way in a narrative of saying that Melchizedek is greater than Abram. Melchizedek is greater than Abram. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews goes into great detail about this in chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, he explains the significance of this man, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is unique in two ways. Firstly, Melchizedek is both king and priest. He's unique and he's both king and priest. In the nation of Israel, the kings came from the tribe of Judah... The priests came from the tribe of Levi and you didn't have a king who was both, who was a priest and a priest who was a king. And so Melchizedek was unique. Secondly, the second thing that makes Melchizedek unique is that his priesthood is an eternal one. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 3, the writer speaks about Melchizedek and he says this, Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Two things that make Melchizedek unique. He's both king and priest, and he's a priest forever. And so at the inauguration of a king someone would read this, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, of course, you can imagine as this psalm is read to the king, the difficulties that this might have raised. See, in some ways, it's easy to talk about the king sitting at God's right hand, even though the king of Israel didn't literally sit at God's right hand in heaven, Metaphorically, they did sit at God's right hand. They did have an authority that came from God himself. They did rule under God's authority. And so you could say that the king sits at God's right hand. But being a priest in the order of Melchizedek, it just wasn't something you could easily apply to any of the kings of the Old Testament. Now, there was some sense in which the king did have a kind of a priestly role within Israel. But in a number of places in the Old Testament, it's quite clear that the king's priesthood is very limited. It's a strange and a different kind of priesthood. And not only that, but none of the kings lived forever in order to be a priest forever. It just doesn't It doesn't quite fit properly, does it? In fact, this whole psalm fits the kings of Israel a little bit like Saul's armour fit David when David tried it on to fight Goliath. It was too big. These verses are too big. Their vision is just too grand to apply to any of the kings of Israel in the Old Testament. No, these verses would come to represent a hope a promise for a future priest 
king, someone who would be like Melchizedek, the descendant promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The descendant who would establish the eternal kingdom, the descendant who would be the final, the ultimate priest forever. And this is exactly what Peter explains to the crowd as he stands up before them on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And the disciples, having been enabled to speak in other languages, have gone out into the street proclaiming the wonders of God. And people began to make fun of them. And so Peter gets up to explain what's happened. And he says that Jesus was crucified according to God's plan, but God raised him from the dead. And he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 33 to 36, I'm going to read this again. Acts chapter 2, verses 33 to 36, Peter says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This psalm, Psalm 110, ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus. See, David didn't ascend to heaven. David knew where he was going. He knew he was going down to the dead. And he speaks of this. And yet, Yet he spoke about someone who would ascend to heaven, who would ascend to sit at God's right hand. And in Jesus, these words have come true. Jesus ascended to heaven and is now seated at God's right hand. He is both Lord and Messiah. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul puts it this way. He's just spoken about how Jesus has humbled himself to death on a cross. And then he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why did Jesus ascend to heaven? What is he doing now? Well, he ascended to heaven in order that he might sit at God's right hand. He ascended to heaven in order that he might rule, that he might take his place on the throne. His rule, his authority is unprecedented. No other king no other ruler in history, no other human has ever held this much power, has ever held this much authority. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only question is when. The only question is when. Will you bow your knee now? Or will you bow when Jesus returns and it's too late? 
Will you confess that he is Lord, even of your own life, now or when he returns and it's too late? This is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus is Lord. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And it's good news because Jesus is not only king, but he is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He has authority and power over all. That is not good news for his enemies, is it? And we were his enemies. Every one of us. By our rejection of him, by our rebellion against him, by ignoring his authority over our own lives, each one of us had rebelled against him and we were his enemies. But Jesus is not just king. He is a priest forever. See, a priest's job is to offer sacrifices for sins. A priest's job is to mediate, to intercede between a holy and a just God and sinful humans. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he, as our priest, offered his own life as the one final ultimate sacrifice for sins. And having been raised to life, having ascended to heaven, he now lives to intercede for us forever. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 7. He says, now there have been many of those priests, he's talking about human priests, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is able to save completely which means for those who bow the knee now, for those who confess that Jesus is Lord now, they will be forgiven for their sins. They will be saved completely. No longer enemies of God. No longer enemies of Christ, but citizens of the kingdom, friends, even family of God himself. Submit yourself to him. Acknowledge his lordship over your life, over every part of your life. Accept his sacrifice for you. And you will find forgiveness for your sins. You will find peace with God. Citizenship in the kingdom of God. And eternal life. And having submitted yourself to the Lord who loves you and gave his life for you, you can have confidence. Confidence that there is nothing in this world or even out of this world that can overcome us. If, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, if Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us, then who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of Christ? 
Nothing. Nothing. No hardship, no suffering, not even death itself can defeat us. Because our King is the Lord of all. You may look around at our society, at the world around us, and you might despair at how far they've gone in rejecting God, in abandoning the very idea that they might even be a God. You might despair if you were to look at the rates of anxiety and depression in our young people today. You might despair as you look around the world and you see what happens as countries like the USA, once a pioneer of justice and and freedom, a country who for many years has proudly proclaimed itself one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. You might watch on and despair as the US tears itself apart over issues of justice, of racism, of violence and gun control. You might despair as communist China grows more and more powerful. You might despair as you go through hardship after hardship in life, as life seems out of control, as you lurch from one disaster to the next. You might despair perhaps even as you're looking at your own heart and you see the sin within. But we need not despair. We need not despair because Jesus is on the throne. He is Lord of all, King of the universe, and he lives forever to intercede for us, to provide forgiveness for our sins by his death on the cross. And that, that is good news. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the promises of the Old Testament spoken through the prophets. We thank you for the way that they help us to understand Jesus for who he is. Father, thank you that he is Lord of all, that he is our priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Father, please help us to submit to him as our Lord, as our King, that we might find forgiveness through his sacrifice for us, that we might be obedient to him, that we might have confidence in his lordship and so bring you glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen.